Welcome back to our series in the book of Acts. Please, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Turn in your Bible apps or turn them on. Uh, if you want to follow along a little, a little more closely, you can go to the Version Bible app, go to events, click on that, you'll see New Heights Church, and you can, you can kind of walk with me through my, my notes there. Well, in Acts chapter 6, we come to the story of the first Christian martyr. Now, they've been close. We've seen it a couple times already with the apostles. They've been thrown in prison. They've been flogged. They've been beaten. And they, we've been close to some martyrdom, but not yet. But here we'll see in Acts chapter 6, the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Now, it's important to know, this is really important for us to note this, that this guy is not an apostle or an elder or a senior pastor. As far as we know, he's not even on staff of that first church. He's just an average guy. And as Jim pointed out last week, um, just a servant. Literally, he serves widows. And as Jim also pointed out, it was men and women like him because of their service that allowed the church to grow, allowed the Word of God to be taught and spread and people to be discipled and evangelized. By this point, the Jerusalem church is at least 10,000 people. You say, is that a lot? I think it's a lot because the city of Jerusalem at that time was about 40,000 people. So you can imagine 25% of this relatively small city, Jerusalem, is people of the way. People have given their life over to this, this Jewish carpenter, this Messiah by the name of Jesus. Um, from here, we know it's going to spread around the world. And the question is this, and you know, I often bring this up, why is it growing like this? Again, we have to ask ourselves often, um, why are we sitting in folding chairs in a gym in Fayetteville, Arkansas? I mean, seriously, you got better things to do, right? We talk, we talk about this often. Quite frankly, this summer's been pretty mild, right? I mean, it's been in the mid-80s, high-80s, not too bad, a little warm today, but it's almost July, and you're like, I could be doing other stuff. Why are you here? Well, partly you're here because of men and women like, like Stephen and others who gave their life for the cause of Christianity. That's what we're going to look at. Part of what we're going to see this morning is why it spread so much. So Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's go back to the beginning by way of review of Acts chapter 6. In those days, verse 1, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic, that just means the Grecian, those Greek Jews, um, those were Greeks who converted. Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrews, the, the Jewish Jews, Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They say, wait a second, are they, are they holier than thou? Are they bigger than those who serve? No, everyone's got a job to do. And you want your apostles, your pastors, your teachers, these men and women studying the word of God, um, preaching the word of God, discipling. And you want people serving. You want people uh, being about the business of getting things done that need to get done. And it was more than just serving. There was just infrastructure stuff that was all being run by the apostles. And they're going, man, as this thing is growing like crazy, we don't have time to do the both and. And so they, they, they appointed some people, brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you, verse 3, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. 
And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 8, now Stephen... A man full of God's grace and power, he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. You're like, what is that? Most scholars think these were, these were men who had been enslaved by Rome, who had been given their freedom. Um, but during their time of enslavement, they had converted to Judaism. So as freedmen, they were opening up synagogues. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Verse 10 is, is really important. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. In the Bible, there are a host of people whose stories stand out as examples to us. Besides Jesus, we go to the Old Testament and we think of, of men like Noah and, and Abraham and we think of Moses and um, Joseph and David and Elijah. And uh, in the New Testament, we think about James, John, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Did you get that? Peter, Paul, and Mary? I just thought, I know, that's, that's two generations ago now. But just, just, just in case you weren't sure. But a person I want to be like is Stephen. Why? Because as we just read, he fulfills what I, what I call the, the resume of a believer, a New Testament believer. He was, full of, he was full of faith. He walked by faith and not by sight. He was full of the Holy Spirit. As it says in Galatians 5.25, he was staying in step with the Holy Spirit. He was full of, of God's grace and God's power. We think of Acts 1.8, that that dynamite, Holy Spirit power. He was full of the Spirit's wisdom. And then lastly, he was full of the Word of God. This characteristic we haven't seen yet, but we're, we're about to see a man so full of the Word of God that, that he put the trained religious professionals in their, in their place. Verse 10, again, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave them as he spoke. Verse 11, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. What's going on here? If you can't handle the argument, just lie. Write this down. This is really important. The devil doesn't fight fair. Like, you've got these, these freedmen who are, are scholars in and of themselves, but now they're, they're going over and they're getting the Sadducees and the high priest. And they're going, man... This guy is, they couldn't, they didn't use these words, but he's so full of the Holy Spirit, this common Grecian Jewish believer who serves widows, this guy is so amazing, we don't know what to do with him. So here's what we'll do, lie. Just lie. Check out verse, verse 12. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And here we go again. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. He didn't say that. All who were sitting, I love verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw... 
um, that his face was like the face of an angel. (laughs) What's going on here? I can just imagine these false witnesses. They had finished twisting Stephen's teaching and everyone turns to Stephen for his reaction. Now, if it were me, I would be like, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. These, they weren't telling the truth. That's not true. I didn't, man, I would go into defense mode, but not Stephen. With Stephen, they found his face shining like an angel's reflecting, I think, the Shekinah glory of God. He doesn't even respond until he's asked. Verse 1, Acts chapter 7, the high priest says, Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, "Um, brothers and fathers, listen to me. This is a seminal moment right now for Stephen. This is a seminal moment. Well, I mean, the, the crowd is all there. They're getting heated up. He's dealing with the freedmen. He's dealing with the Sanhedrin. He's dealing with the chief priest himself. If he's silent, he's okay. If he takes a step back and goes, hey, whoops, sorry about that. Forgive me, I, over, I overstepped. This is a seminal moment for, hey, in your life, you are going to have seminal moments where you have an opportunity to stand up for Jesus or you go, I think I'll just shrink back into the culture. What's he going to do? Is he going to play it safe in front of the angry mob and the angry religious leaders? This is Stephen's moment to either shrink back or take his chance between the lines to define the legacy that he's gonna leave. You know, you and I were in the process of establishing, of defining our legacy each and every day. In in your parenting, in your singleness, in your grandparenting, in your sonship, your daughtership, right now we're in the process of, as we stand in, in between the lines, between birth and death, we are establishing our legacy for King Jesus. This is his moment. What's he going to do? Well, as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, grace, power, wisdom, and the Word of God, I think we know what he's going to do. He's going to go for it. And Stephen basically is going to tell these Bible scholars, these religious leaders, these shepherds of God's covenant people, that they've had, they've had a bad memory when it comes to Scripture. They have revisionist history. But why? Why do they have revisionist history? This is really important. Because they lied to themselves for so long they began to believe their own lies. You need to hear this. Just because someone lies and does it frequently and does it often and, and does it so much, it doesn't mean that it's true. Just because you hear a lie here, a lie here, a lie here, a lie, and it's gussied up and it's put in such a way where you go, hey, that sounds kind of true, doesn't mean it's true. For centuries, they had, they had lied to themselves. They thought they were special because, well, they said, you know, we, we're, chosen, we're chosen by God. We're, we're God's chosen people. And not only that, he gave us, he gave us land. And he gave us his, his law. I mean, how special are we? And, and hey, hey, he gave us the temple. And when push comes to shove, above all else, we are Hebrews. We are special people. 
with special blood, chosen by God. So Stephen calls them on the carpet and he begins to preach. And I find it interesting, he begins to preach what they know, but they don't live out. He begins to walk back through almost the entire history of the old. I mean, that's the only Bible they had. There is no New Testament. Can you imagine? You show up to a debate and you're debating scholars who all they study is what you want to debate about, what you want to talk about. That's what he does. And he begins to walk them back through the Old Testament. And over and over again, he's going to say, Israel, you've always resisted the prophets that God has sent you. Always. And so he starts, with, he starts with God speaking to Abraham in Mesopotamia. And I want you to see this behind me. This is an actual artist rendition of Abraham, right? <laughs> Josh, uh, Josh Graber. He was on staff for us. He actually, he drew that by hand. It's great. It's our version of a modern day flannel graph, okay? And he says in Acts chapter 7 in verse 1, he says to the high, the high priest says to Stephen, are these charges true? And to this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. Seminal moment. I'm going to step into this moment. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Um, Leave your country and your people. And, and, And God said, and go to the land I will show you. So God chose Abraham for a purpose. I want you to note at this time, I want us to note at this time that Abraham isn't a Jew. He's just a Gentile. He's he's a he's a pagan worshiper. And yet God God chooses him. Why? For a purpose. Please hear this. God never randomly chooses us just for our own protection and well-being. He always chooses us for a purpose. He didn't choose Abraham just to protect Abraham and his people, but Abraham was chosen that he and future generations might, might tell all peoples about this incredible God. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, I will make you, Abraham, God says, into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I have blessed you to be a blessing. I've given you seed to give it away. In other words, Abraham or Israel, you were chosen for a reason. That's to bring the light of Jehovah to the Gentiles, to the nations. And so here's the theme of Stephen's sermon. Time and time again, God raised up people to help you do this, and you rejected them. And you were more concerned about your land and your law and your temple than souls. People made in God's image. We keep talking about this in the book of Acts. You are so concerned about building this little enclosed kingdom, this monument, which I designed to be a movement. And anytime we, they, go against what God designs, it starts to become really strange and inbred and weird and funky and unbiblical. And that's what happened to them. So he says to Abraham, leave. And go by faith. And then God promised him children and land, even though he had none. And then he promised that they would be enslaved. But he also promised their eventual rescue. And then then Abraham fathered Isaac. You, You may see how he's got a little smile on his face. Why do you think that is? Who knows? What biblical scholars? This is tough, I know. How old was Sarah when she gave birth to Isaac? Somebody. 90. 
And what, what was his name? You remember? He laughs. That's why he's laughing. It's a 90-year-old woman. Gave birth. She's like, oh, my word. I'm going to name him. He laughs. So Abraham fathers Isaac, and then Isaac fathers Jacob. Remember, he's the heel grabber, the deceiver. He deceived Esau with a bowl of porridge, right, to get the birthright. And then Jacob has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then out of those sons, we get Joseph, who's an Old Testament type of Christ. He's almost perfect. He, he never seems to sin, and God raises him up to save his people. And he's rejected by his brothers because he never seems to sin, and he's, he's Jacob's favorite. And, and, but what, that meant, what they meant for evil, God used for good, and his brothers sell him into slavery, and he, he ends up in Egypt. And then God rescued Joseph, and he becomes the rescuer and ruler of Egypt, and famine hits the region. And so Jacob, Jacob's family is like, we, we need to find food. So they, they go to Egypt to find food, but instead, in God's providence, they find Joseph. And just as he dreamed many years earlier, he rescues and he rules over them. But not like they thought. They thought he would rule over them in a mean way, in an autocratic way. But he ruled over them with love and care. And over time, the Israelites begin to grow and grow and grow. And, but eventually, Joseph dies in a regime a regime uh, change takes place and they are enslaved by the Egyptians just as God had promised Abraham. So God raises up another deliverer by the name of Moses. And Moses tries to rescue his people and they, they rejected him and he spent 40 years in the wilderness. And, but let me tell you, right now, these people are captivated. Here is Stephen standing before this angry mob, these angry religious leaders, people on the, the periphery who maybe aren't angry, they're curious. But at this point, they're probably just going, wow, this guy knows the word of God. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're agreeing with you on everything. Keep preaching, brother. So after 40 years in the wilderness, God sent Moses back to rescue his people, this time success. Moses was the rescuer and ruler, and he, Moses promised that God would bring a future rescuer and ruler. But the Israelites rejected Moses and God again. They proceeded to make and, and worship a golden calf instead of worshiping God. And they refused to trust the report of Joshua and Caleb to enter into the promised land. So back to the wilderness they go for 40 more years. And sadly, the Israelites continued to reject God, even though God gave them the law and, and the tabernacle, you know, a portable temple. But eventually their next leader, Joshua, leads them to the land promised to Abraham, and he brings the portable tabernacle uh, along with him. And the portable tabernacle remained until King David's son Solomon built a temple out of stone and mortar. And let me, at this point, they are riveted. They might even be ready to cheer. Yes! It's all about the monument. It's all about the temple where, where God lives. And now Stephen's going to blow their minds. He says this in verse 48, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. Well, they said, that's all they ever said was that's where he lives. And he begins to quote Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 66, verses one and two. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or, will, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Stephen is only saying what Jesus said. That is, Jesus is the temple not made by human hands. Jesus took the place of everything in the temple. So now we have a new temple, a new priest, a new sacrifice, and new access to glory and fellowship with God. 
And it appears that Stephen is sensing their displeasure, their displeasure at this statement because now he really begins to preach. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You missed your moment. You who have received the law that was given through angels but, but have not obeyed it. Now verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Gnashed would probably be clenched. Have you ever done that? You've been, you've been so mad that you literally gritted or clenched your teeth. TMJ was on the way, baby, right? Their orthodontist is like, don't, well, maybe you want to do that. I'll make a little money, you know? Ah! But Stephen, juxtaposed to the gnashing of teeth, here is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And he looks up to heaven. Now, between you and me, I, I think only he can see what's going on here. It's another one of those supernatural moments, right? He looks up to heaven and he sees the glory of God. But not only that, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. What? Verse 56, look, he said. He's telling them, look, but they can't see. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the, at the right hand of God. And in contrast to the rage, Stephen, full of Holy Spirit, um, he, he literally says, I see Jesus. As the crazed crowd grew near, Stephen kept his gaze steadily upward, and in the process, he sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and this is the first recorded appearance Jesus, of Jesus since his ascension in Acts chapter 1. And it's no small thing. You say, why? Because time and time again, as we look at the scriptures, the Bible tells us that when Jesus finished making sacrifices, he himself as the ultimate sacrifice, he did what the priest would do. He sat. And that signified that it was finished. Mark chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming out of the clouds of heaven. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered, all, all, um, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Lee, what's going on here? Here's what I think, and I want you to see this behind me. I believe Luke wanted us to know that martyrs, that martyrs don't die alone. God honors seminal moments. God honors his faithful who stand in the midst of enemies, who stand in the midst of a changing culture, who stand when no one else wants to stand with them. And Jesus says, if you'll stand, I'll stand with you. Enter into your rest, Stephen. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And I think even beyond that, I believe there can be no greater nor more honorable reception than to have Jesus, the Son of Man, the lover of our souls, standing as we enter into his presence. 
Now you may want to think about that just for a second. I won't spend too much time here. But the reality is one day every single one of us in this room will stand before Jesus. Will you stand as a son or will you stand as an outsider? You're going to stand before him. And the temptation is to go, <laughs> I got forever. No, you don't. One day, every, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there will be no one there to stand in your stead if you made the wrong decision. Verse 57, at this, gnashing their teeth, gritting their ah! Then they begin to cover their ears. They're so frustrated. They're getting people to lie. They're bringing up false witnesses. They don't know what to do. Yelling at the top of their voices. They just figure, that's it, forget it. We're just going to rush him. Breaking every law. Roman law, Jewish law. Just so filled with anger and rage. I don't care. And they rush him and they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him. Can't even imagine. I can't even fathom that. The other day in the kitchen, I was... um, I'm almost embarrassed to say, but I was making homemade buttermilk biscuits. I've never done that before. And uh, I cut my finger on the food processor blade. And it started to bleed. And I, oh God, I was in so much pain. I looked down, it's a little cut this big. God, why have you forsaken me? Seriously, I'm wrapping it, I'm iodining, I'm, Ruth, I got a boo-boo, kiss my boo-boo. He's dragged out. He's standing. They're stoning him. They're hitting him with rocks. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out. Who does this sound like? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sound familiar? And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. We'll talk more about him in the weeks to come. Three thoughts from our our text. Three insights as we finish this morning. Number one, this is really cool. God does his best work through ordinary people. It sickens my heart that in some strange way that um, uh, pastors or missionaries television preachers, internet sensations, religious internet sensations have become superstars. There's only one superstar. His name is Jesus. And he came with a, with a towel. He came to serve, not be served. And he says, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, live like I lived. I love this. God does his best work through ordinary people. Stephen preaches the longest sermon in the book of Acts with the most powerful, what some would call the most powerful effect. Most scholars believe that he had something to do with the eventual conversion of Saul. Now, why? What is the Holy Spirit trying to, to show us through this? Here's what I think he's trying to show us. Ordinary people filled with the Spirit can do everything an apostle can do. 
In John chapter 16 and verse 7, this is interesting. Jesus actually told his disciples, he said, hey guys, gather around. They're there in the upper room. He's giving some last words before he launches them out, before he goes to a cross and dies for their sins. And he says, guys, it's better for the Holy Spirit to leave, for me to leave and the Holy Spirit to come. And they're like, whoa, 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 dude. No, 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 we need you. I mean, what a crazy statement is that? I mean, how awesome would it be to have Jesus on our staff right now? Would that be amazing? It would just be the Jesus show, right? Teaching, preaching, healing, turning water into wine. You know, I mean, just, just the Jesus show. Yet Jesus said the power of the Holy Spirit at work in ordinary believers would be greater than the presence of Jesus right beside us. And we see that in Stephen. New Heights. The, the greatest miracles are supposed to happen through, you ready? You. You. Just like they did through Stephen. The Sauls of our community will not be reached through the preaching of Jim and Lee. You say, why? Because they're not coming here. There's a few that trickle in. Who are they going to be reached by? You. At home, at work, in the classroom, on a soccer field, in a gym. They're going to be reached by you. That's God's design. That's why there's no difference between a sacred and secular calling. None whatsoever. For the believer, all of it's God's calling. The call to be an engineer or a lawyer or a teacher or a nurse or a business owner is just as important for the call to be a, a, a pastor or a missionary. Second, second insight from our text. We should be um, a mysterious contradiction to the world. What's happened to us? How did we ever get to a point where we think, if I'm like the world, the world will love me, and if they love me, I'll change them. We, we don't see that in Scripture at all. I both love and I'm convicted by this quote. He's a, he's a pastor of a church in Texas, Adam Griffin. He says this, It is astonishing how a massive body of people who follow history's most nonconformist leader, Jesus, now struggle to resist conforming to a world that distracts from and rejects all that they stand for. What's happened to us? Out of everything, Jesus taught preparedness for being unmistakably different was one of the lessons most common in his ministry. Yet it is one disturbingly lacking in our generation. Stephen's life is a contradiction to everyone. He's this kind, gentle, gracious servant, as it says in Acts 6-7, because of his witness and his being full of the Holy Spirit that that numerous priests come to faith on the one hand. On the other hand, right, he, his rebuke is so stinging, um, it makes another group of religious leaders want to murder him. You say, what's going on, Lee? You can look this up later. But John chapter 1 and verse 14 says that Jesus came full of, of what? Grace and truth. Stephen is the embodiment of grace and truth. And the world most hates us when we speak with 
with both, just like it hated Jesus. Remember this, and I want you to see this behind me. Truth without grace is legalism and easy to write off. And sadly, that's what people see. But grace without truth is sentimentalism. And it has no power. You say, well, what's that? Hey, just live like you want. Just do what you want. Just be who you are. I mean, we've got believers who are celebrating the sin of people. What's going on? Does it mean you you stand there and yell at them? No, but you lovingly, you lovingly, as you embrace them, you speak truth into their ears. But you speak truth. And the truth is this. While we were yet sinners, God-haters, Christ loved us and died for us. The truth is, we're sinners. And we need to turn from that sin. We need to say no to that sin. If we speak speak with grace and truth, the world will hate us no matter how much grace we have. If we're looking for the world's affirmation as a follower of Jesus, please hear this, you're not going to get it. They're going to call us arrogant and hateful and bigoted, and we should always examine our hearts to see if we are those things. And if we are, we need to openly repent. But we're also going to love them and return good for evil and serve them and refuse to be bitter at them and ask God for their forgiveness. And some of them, like Saul, will see the sweetness of your testimony and how you respond to persecution. And they'll be converted, but that's very few. The rest might keep just pelting you with stones. I would encourage you, just keep being prayerful, kind, gentle, persistent, truthful, and bold, and let God handle the outcome. Okay, last insight. I think it's really important. And I don't want anyone to feel shame. I want you to to get excited about this. Last insight is this. Go to a church that teaches the Word of God. Learn the Word of God. Again, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to preach the longest recorded sermon in Acts. Where did he get all this knowledge about the word? From the apostles who were teaching it. Stephen prioritized it by freeing them up to study and teach it, but he also prioritized it by learning it. Here's my my question for us. Have we devoted ourselves to the word of God? When squeezed, when under pressure, would we be ready to preach the kind of sermon that Stephen preached or to preach any kind of sermon? When your seminal moment comes and it will come, are you ready? I, well, here's what I noticed about, well, here's what Stephen didn't do. He's before the freedmen, he's before the, the Sanhedrin, he's before the Sadducees, he's before the chief priests, he's before this mob. He's being squeezed. His seminal moment has come. He didn't say this. Hey, let me grab an apostle. Hey, there's a podcast I want you to listen to. Hey, here's here's the number of my preacher. What did he do? He responded with the word. Beloved, we are in a cultural moment right now where the truths of our faith are being attacked every day. And that's okay. That's normal. But if we don't know the truths of our faith, how can we defend ourselves? What's happened to us? 
This is why we're seeing people who claim to be followers of Jesus deconverting from their faith. Is it a problem with their faith? No, they just don't know their faith. And right now, culturally, they're being squeezed. And as they're being squeezed, they're like, I, I, I don't know. Many of their conversions were based on emotion and not a thorough understanding of the word of God. First Peter chapter three and verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with grace, but also truth. Hey, the Holy Spirit can bring things to our memory, but only the things we've committed to our memory. So my goal here isn't to shame you. My, my goal here is to impassion you. Be a student of the word. I'd like to think you're going to stay here forever, right here at New Heights, but you won't. For all sorts of reasons, you're going to go to different churches, go to different places in this, in this country and in the world. I would encourage you, always make sure you're at a place that teaches the word of God. In season, out of season. Because that cultural moment is here. And that squeezing is coming. And how are you going to respond? All right. At this time, will the prayer team come on up? Do me a favor, bow your heads. Worship team, come on up. Let me encourage you this morning. Maybe you're here and you're kind of like the, the fringe. Maybe you're not the angry mob, but you're kind of on the outside of what was going on with Stephen. and Not quite a follower, but, but asking some questions. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not quite a follower of Jesus, but you're asking some questions. I would encourage you, as the prayer team is going to be coming up here, I don't see them coming up right now, but I think they're going to be coming up as I speak. Here we go. Here we go. Um, they want to answer some of those questions. And maybe for some of you in this room, sadly, and this breaks my heart, Jesus has become politics. God forbid. Or he's become associated with with legalism or with a building or with a denomination. And I want you to keep hearing this. Following Jesus has nothing to do with any of those things. It literally means that you come to him and you just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And you died for that sin, so I put my faith, my trust in you as my savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I know and I love Jesus but I know I'm in this seminal cultural moment. And I, man, there's part of me that wants to deconvert. I'm getting bombarded. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TV, movies, music. I'm just getting bombarded. I feel like the tide is turning. I think, I think my faith, I don't know if it really was in Jesus. I think it was just, I don't know what it was in. I would encourage you. Become a student of the word. Come talk to us. We can give you resources. We can talk about discipleship. This is a moment. How are you going to respond? Let me pray for us.
Father, thank you for the example of Stephen. An ordinary man you used in an extraordinary way because he stepped into his moment by the power of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God. And in boldness and truth, he proclaimed it. And it cost him his life. Now, obviously, Father, I don't hope that for anyone in this room. But I do pray you'd give us the courage to stand in this moment and speak truth. The Bible says, let let God be true and every man a liar. Forgive us for being seduced by the culture. Help us to be seduced by you, God. To be madly in love with you. To give an account to you one day. Father, thank you for using ordinary people to proclaim an extraordinary truth. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you, God, for this church that preaches the word. Thank you, Father, for our uniqueness, that we are peculiar, that we are full of truth but also grace. Help us to walk in it, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.